Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and I'm joined today by a poet and lifelong resident of Norwich, Pete Goodrum. Pete will be known to anyone on the Norwich poetry scene, especially as one of the leading members of Café Writers and Poetry at Jeunette's. On this episode, he will be sharing poems inspired by Norwich, but they are likely to feel familiar wherever you are listening from. Also have a pen and paper handy as Pete offers ideas for using familiar places in your town and neighbourhood as inspiration for writing. Here's Pete with a piece from a set of poems, City. Market. This is where the city rises and scratches, stretches and reaches out to start another day. Flower fresh at first thing, but soon heaving, breathing, trading and sweating, the market is living. In its stride by noon, chip fat and bacon, working smells, selling yells, this trading beating heart under clock and bells is a commerce apart from desks and tills. It's pounding and pennying, trading in everything from cheese to shoes, nails and screws, new and used, socks and clocks, cards and yards of ribbon and elastic, leather and plastic. Anything, everything, anyone, everyone, ice cream in winter, chips when it's hot, three for a pound, a five of the lot, books and vegetables, batteries and toys, a commercial crash course, a fabulous noise. And suddenly it's quiet. It rests another day over, it sleeps under its striped bed cover of nowadays modernised, tidier awnings, until it's rising and scratching, stretching and reaching for the next of its mornings. Great. I uh, think everyone who knows Norwich Market will uh, recognise it from that poem. And if they don't, they'll uh, likely uh, be reminded of um, other places. There's a lot, as you capture in the poem, there's a lot of activity, a lot of different things happening. How did you go about bringing it all together into that poem? I guess I wanted to see it as a kind of photograph in in one sense but in another sense really tried to capture it in all the senses because that is what it's about there's sight and sound and smell and noise and all sorts going on and I think that's really important I think at the heart of it because this is a poem that's part of a bigger project in a way uh, a project called City which is about Norwich but I also want it to be about every city and I think most of the great cities have great marketplaces uh, and those markets are just like that. It's noisy and, and boisterous. And it's real commerce, you know. It's it's commerce in its most ancient form. It's trading across a market stall. And uh, so you said it was part of a bigger project. Um, what's that? I've been working for a couple of years on, on putting together a set of poems with the kind of working overarching title of City. And I wanted to achieve several things simultaneously really I suppose I wanted to paint a picture of Norwich because it's the city where I've been born and bred and lived all my life so far I wanted it to be also indicative of any city so that whilst you could read them and feel that's a picture of of Norwich as a city you could also feel this happens everywhere I wanted it to cover every aspect of the city from its marketplace out to the suburbs, around the ring road, all of the details. And I wanted to explore all sorts of form. Um, so in that poem, for instance, the market poem, there are some relatively unstructured stanzas, but there is rhyme as well. 
Uh, and I think sometimes we get, as poets, a little nervous about using rhyme. It's a little unfashionable in some senses, in some, uh, some views. And I don't think it should be. Uh, what intrigues me is that if poetry, and I've actually written a bit about this, I've written a poem about poetry really, because in a way the real poetry is arguably not that which the intellectual establishment judges to fit the current canon, but it's what's out there really happening. So for instance, if you think of rap and all its derivatives, if you think of most advertising on TV nowadays, rhyme is in there and it works because people can relate to it. So I think it's important to, to not sweep it away as an old-fashioned device, but to, but to keep it in there. It's more in keeping with modern rap and, and grime and everything going on in that scene than some poets would want us to be, I guess. So I feel that there's perhaps the danger of being called a kind of inverted snob about that, but I don't worry about that. I think it's important to keep that. So at the moment, I guess I've got probably 15 or... 20 poems coming together under that umbrella and I'm polishing them and tidying them with a view to making them into that, that final collection of, of poems that I can call City. Well, I hope it's not the final one, but it's the <laughs> to finalise it, I should say. Yeah, um, uh, as far as what you were saying about it, uh, being able to relate to any city market is certainly one that works well with that. Um, how long did this poem take to write? Market is one of those poems that I guess took a day or more to put down in the first draft. But then you go back to it and you polish it and tweak it and change it and edit it. And, and so it's probably been around being worked on for six months or more. But I'm really quite comfortable with the version I just read. I think that that does what I want it to do. Uh, and it's it's that whole feeling of the city wakes up when the market wakes up. And it kind of goes to sleep when the market stops. Yeah, and I guess market is a very prominent and obvious choice of subject for something like this. But uh, 15, 20 poems into the project, what kind of things are you finding to write about? It was, as I was saying earlier, really, I want to explore kind of every aspect of a city from all sorts of different angles, zooming in in tiny detail and pulling back in, in big view. So things like the allotments out on the edges of the city, the ring road, suburban streets and houses, a glimpse through a window of a suburban street, because that's what makes cities work, isn't it? You know, And, and, and part of the agenda is, and I, I say this unashamedly, part of the agenda is to say, yes, you can read this and it can be about any city, wherever city you live in, Sheffield, Coventry, Leeds, whatever, London even. But hey, this is Norwich too. Because I do feel passionately that despite our thriving art scene, our terrific activities in poetry, literature and the arts in Norwich, we are still looked at askance. You know, there's, there's still a kind of second-class view of, of Norwich and I, I want to change that. I think it's not a second-class city, far from it. I think it deserves the right to be up there with, with all of the great cities. And I know that in many ways it is... But in another sense, I think there's still a way to go. I mean, I was reading an article recently. I commented on this before. There was an article in, in uh, The Guardian, a very reputable and good newspaper. And it was by a very reputable and good columnist. But the point he made was talking about Norwich. He said, Norwich, best known for cobble streets, mustard and Alan Partridge. 
<laughs> really? You know, we need to be identified with Alan Partridge. Now, Partridge is a fantastically funny, brilliant creation, and I've absolutely nothing but respect for, for the character and the creation of him. But you wouldn't say London was famous for, you know, Oxford Street and Bertie Wooster, would you? You wouldn't drag in a fictional <laughs> character just to say, this is the city I'm talking about. Uh, and I think that kind of, in a way, typifies some of the problems that we still have. We need to overcome it. Our accent, if if anybody on, on BBC radio or movies or, or TV tries to capture our accent in a drama, they get it wrong. They place us somewhere in Cornwall. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a, a, a Liverpool accent, a Newcastle accent, a London accent is imitable and it's recognisable and it's accepted. But the Norwich one and the Norfolk one is not easy to imitate. I accept that. But it's uh, it's so misunderstood and so misplaced a lot of the time that it, it doesn't do us any service. Every now and then wonderful things happen, but uh, it's, uh, it's still a bit of a battle, I think it really is. So writing these poems, what have you learnt about the city? I think it's not so much a learning, but more a confirmation of how varied and how exciting and how dramatic and how visual it is. Um, I've I've always known it. I suppose in a way there's a degree of evangelism about about doing this, but it's been refreshing to say, you know, this poem could have been written about anywhere else. That's not to be derogatory about Norwich, but it's on the contrary saying this is as big and brash and bold and exciting and lively a city as anywhere else. And I think that's what's come through to me, a kind of confirmation of that which I already knew. Have there any other works by other poets or writers that you've been inspired by during this project? Not so much during this project, I think, to be honest. My reading and study of poetry is eclectic, to say the least. And, and, and I think, like a lot of people... You change your views as time goes by, don't you? If you're interested in poetry, you change your views. I can remember, for instance, being hugely um, absorbed by, by Craig Rain during the kind of Martian Sins of Postcard Home period. And I, I look at it now and think, was it everything I thought it was? Um, you think of obvious examples like Larkin, who's you know written some truly wonderful pieces, but then you find yourself conflicted because... The more you learn about the man, the less attractive you find his views to be. Then I suppose, like I was saying about, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of rhyme. We shouldn't be afraid to go back to some of the greats. Thomas Hardy, I, I think. I think Thomas Hardy is a kind of overrated novelist and underrated poet. That's a bit of a broad sweeping statement to make, because plainly some of the novels are, are truly wonderful. But his poetry was so much better. You know, The Darkling Thrush... I could, I could spend a day reading it, talking about it. It's, it's just an almost perfect piece of work. So it's always there, the reading, the absorbing. But I don't think I drew on influences of poets to write this particular set. Seamus Heaney's a good example. You know, you think of Seamus Heaney, some of those poems about digging and compost heaps and things. You know, maybe they were lurking in the back of my mind for some of those, uh, some of these pieces. But you know, I would. Uh, it, it would be a bit uh, presumptuous to, to say that uh, the, the shades of Seamus Heaney were showing through my work. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we hear another poem from the collection? By all means. Shall we do, um, do this one, which takes us, funnily enough, in terms of Norwich, not geographically very far from the marketplace, but 
looked at in a, in a different way. This is a poem called Rear View. Rear View. You can see the back of City Hall now. Reconstruction or deconstruction has torn a hole that leaves its behind sticking out. The facade word is a hard word, but it's never been more apt than now when the front says one thing and the rear says another. There's no pomp among the bins and litter and no pageant in the puddles. Open to view, it bears the ghosts of what happened when it was hidden. How many post-Christmas party snogs were snogged in what was once an alley? How many meetings before the official meeting were met when it was darker there? How many fags were smoked and phone calls and excuses made? Sunlight is an unforgiving spotlight. There's no point in leaving by the back door now. Great. Um, so uh, clearly um, a different perspective of a building familiar to anyone living in Norwich. Um, what, what was the background of that? It was literally seeing the work going on. There was work going on behind the City Hall and suddenly what had been quite a, a small little alleyway was, was open to the public. Now, it's not, although it might in some way sound it, it's not a kind of protest poem about suggesting there are anything wrong going on in County Hall and it's being covered up. It's not that at all. But what it does do is say, you know, the the City Hall, like most City Halls, I guess, has got literally a facade, a face that it shows out. It's mm. been designed that way. The Norwich one is particularly famous. It's a kind of copy of a Scandinavian one. It's It's got a lot of history behind it, but it's it's a 1930s building. But the back of it is something you don't see until they knock down some buildings and open an alleyway that used to be behind it. And suddenly you can see it literally from a different angle, an angle that you'd not had a, a, a view of before. And it just occurred to me that, you know, and we all know it's true and it's not even a criticism, but if you have an alleyway leading to the back entrance of offices and public buildings, it is where people make that phone call, have that fag after the party, have a snog. It is where all of that happens, isn't it? And I just wanted to draw that comparison to the front of it. And just remind us all that, you know, that's that's life in a city. And as I said, that could be happening in any city as well as Norwich. But I know it happened in Norwich. And that's why I wrote the poem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what it also says in terms of writing poetry is um, you don't necessarily need a particularly interesting or original subject to start out but if you start to look into it deeper look at it from a different angle you can find something um, striking and original to say. I think that's exactly right and I think that's one of the for some people quite tenuous and, and arguably a little precocious links between jazz and poetry there's, you know over the decades there's been a lot of forging together of jazz and poetry but what you've just said really strikes a chord there no pun intended but you know, some great jazz work has been the result of of improvising around a few bars of the most ordinary tune. <laughs> and, and I think the point you made very kindly about that poem is, yeah, you can pick up something quite prosaic, the rear view of a city hall as they're doing some building work. But if you work around it, you can find all sorts of images and emotions and memories inside it. And, and that, I think, is part of that whole process of what poetry can do. It's it's smaller, it's more laser-like than the great spotlight of prose, isn't it? Yeah, and 
I think this uh, idea of looking at a familiar place from a different angle is uh, something that you'd like us to explore in a writing exercise. I would. I would. Um, I, I think that's exactly what I want to put out there to people as the exercise that comes out of uh, of this podcast. There's that, there's that old, it's almost a cliche, that adage about write what you know. And then there's a school of thought that says, actually, that's the last thing you could do because it it in some ways limits your imagination. I forget who said it, but somebody said, if you only wrote what you knew, you wouldn't write anything exciting at all. But then again, other great writers have said, if you really write about what you know, your knowledge and passion will come through. So there are two ways of looking at it. What I'm saying is, write what you know, but write it from a different angle. So look at a building, a park, a bus stop, a letterbox, anything, garden shed, anything near you that's part of your everyday life and write a poem about it but looked at from a different angle. Now, you know, you might want to put yourself up in the clouds to see that garden shed or post box as a minute object or you might want to put it under a microscope and see it in, in extraordinary detail. You might want to place it where it fits into other people's lives. I mean, I, I mentioned a post box, for instance. You know, you might want to examine the messages and mails that go through it. There's all sorts of ways of coming at this, but it's it's rooted in this idea of take something you know, a place you know, but write about it from a completely different and unexpected angle and force yourself to take up the position to have that angle of view. You know, walk away from it, literally and metaphorically. And, and place yourself in a position where you can see it as you've never seen it before, which will lead to your readers seeing it as they've never seen it before. And I think that's important. Yes, yes. And uh, wherever you're living, there's uh, plenty of possibilities there. I uh, had a go at it myself. And um, actually, um, I got an idea when we were... Uh, arranging this meeting because uh, I was uh, checking on the Google, Google Maps for the name of a uh, street uh, nearby and I happened to notice that uh, they'd updated the pictures on Google Street View so I could see my flat as it was last January. Oh, OK. Yeah. And um, it suddenly struck, well, actually, this is just the thing. I'm looking at a very familiar yeah. place but from a different perspective. And um, it's kind of odd when you look at places like that on Google Street View. It's in many ways a very detailed and accurate image of the place you know, and yet it's subtly different and uh, slightly distorted and incomplete. So um, yeah, that's what uh, I've explored in this poem, My Flat on Google Maps. At first I could see the former owner through the bedroom window. A phantom in a sweater the same shade of pink as she painted the walls. Now there's a green blur of the Akuba Japonica on the balcony. It's last January and all the rooms are dark. I must have been out. I click my way along the street past a group of anonymous neighbours unloading a car. I half expect to meet myself coming round the corner. The sun comes out on Oak Street. It's August, just four months ago. There's a patch of rain at the top of Baker's Road, then back to summer. A man in grey trousers like mine is striding past the convenience store. I would take a walk in Wensum Park, 
but the open gate won't yield to my clicks. I head back, skipping between months and seasons. People pop up and vanish with each step, never to be met. The wasteland on the corner of my street has become a building site. There's a girl in school uniform coming out of the first house on the right. They've just had a baby. I can see my flat from here, but not the plants on the balcony. If I zoom in, I might find new curtains, parted a little, but not enough to see inside. Or glimpse a stranger with pixelated face coming down my steps to take out the rubbish. I really like that. And that's so much in the spirit of what we're talking about, isn't it? <laughs> and, and actually, the more I think about it, to... To look at somewhere you know really well, and I love the fact you include a litany of genuine Norwich place names in there, but I've got to be honest, I hadn't even thought about looking at it from, from a Google Map viewpoint of view, and <laughs> what better and more different viewpoint is there than that? That's really lovely. That's, that's absolutely caught the spirit of what I'm talking about, and I've not seen that. You're, you're absolutely right. To look at it from through the Google eye, as it were, is um, that's an angle that poets didn't have until fairly recently isn't yeah. it that none of us did yeah <laughs> terrific I love that I love that thank you yeah thanks for that and um, I hope uh, everyone listening uh, will try something similar um, by all means try going on Google Maps or uh, working from any other perspective you uh, can think of so um, I've known you uh, for a few years on the poetry scene, but um, I didn't until recently uh, know how much other writing you've done uh, uh, throughout your career. So how did you begin with writing and how did poetry come into that? Well, I've always written poetry. I mean, you know, right back to Juvenilia and school magazine stuff. But my career background is, is actually advertising. I, I was that kind of class and generation and time when a working class lad could get a job in an advertising agency with effectively no qualifications and and really join that kind of mailroom to the boardroom train that, that genuinely used to happen. Uh, so advertising was what I did and it was a career that really put me into what in the jargon of that world would be called client-facing roles, management roles. But I always had a foot in the creative camp. I was always contributing to the writing side of it. And about 10 years ago, in a uh, not altogether unexpected, but nonetheless pretty uh, dramatic reorganisation of a major company I was working for at a very senior level, I was made redundant. And so I looked around and I decided that what I would do is just have a go on my own. I'd step away from the corporate life as such and I would become a freelance writer. So what I did was I put myself out there in the marketplace as a freelance writer for advertising. And it worked. And I still write advertising copy and content. In the meantime, whilst all of that was going on, because suddenly when you're freelance, you can't really go a day without a pitch. You've got to find something else to do or sell or whatever. So I was constantly putting ideas around and exploring things to do. And I'd put out a couple of ideas for, for books based on kind of local history, non-fiction. And as anybody who's ever tried to get anything published will know, you know, you soon become no stranger to rejection slips. <laughs> but 
Eventually, I did get asked to do a book on, on Norwich uh, in the 1950s, and I did it, and it's led to several other books. I mean, I've got, I don't know, nine or ten books in, in print now, typically all local history ones. In the meantime, I'd, I'd kind of knocked on doors in the poetry scene. I remember um, calling and, and meeting up with Martin Figura, for instance, donkey's years ago now, and saying, you know, I've heard about this kind of poetry group, what happens, and, and learning about the open mic scene, which I tentatively walked into never having done an open mic session in, in the poetry world in my life. But I have to say I fell in love with it, and as you know, still do it as, as you do with there. Uh, so, I, you know, that's always gone on. There have been magazine pieces, magazine articles. Uh, there have been interesting and exciting projects, like, for instance, last year, I, uh, I'd been commissioned to write uh, a big book on the on the history of the Gerald organisation because of their 250th anniversary. And that was terrific because it covered their whole retail history and printing and publishing. And, and you know, that's a, a really good example of how Norwich made uh, has made a bigger mark than people think. You know, you think, for instance, of just one tiny example in that story, Gerald published Black Beauty by Anna Sewell. It's it's to this day in the top five all-time great selling children's books. Its history is far removed from being a children's book. So that was hugely exciting. Yeah, it also sounds like you've stepped into writing a, on subjects that perhaps you didn't know much about before. Um, what was it like uh, doing that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, you, you have to learn some... I, mean, I thought going freelance as a self-employed writer would be pretty much exactly the same as being what I used to do except I was on my own and I and I was really wrong you know I mean there are some, some sort of mundane prosaic things to think about like you've got to do your own tax return and you've got to set yourself up as self-employed and all of that but far more interestingly far more challengingly you have to learn things like how to do research more and more research needs to be done for books. You have to learn how to drill into subjects to make sure you're sufficiently well informed to be allowed to put it out there as a book. You know, I mean, you don't want to be found to be making errors, so it has to be right. You have to evolve a style. I think the style can change depending on what you're writing about. You, you know, and and it has led me into all sorts of things. I mean, I've. I spent some time on the committee for Cafe Writers, for instance. I mean, I, I turned up at an open mic gig um, as a complete novice and uh, and subsequently went on to sit on the committee. As you know, I'm heavily involved with the committee of poetry at Journals, where you and I cross paths quite a lot. So I'd become part of that kind of scene as well, if you will. Has it led me into subjects I knew nothing about? Yes, but it's also led me deeper into subjects I thought I knew a bit about. I mean, for instance, I, I've written quite a bit now about one character in particular, Jack or John Thurtell, who was uh, an, an utter rogue who lived in Norwich and, and was hanged for murder. I kind of thought I knew his story until I started delving into it and uh, I realised there was an awful lot more to it than I'd, I'd known. I've just done a piece on um, on the Bank of England that, I mean... You know, there's a there's a, a an address in Norwich. You, you you're bound to have seen it yourself. It's called Old Bank of England Court. It's just off Queen Street. I've lived here all my life so far. I didn't even know it's got that name because the Bank of England had a branch here in Norwich. 
really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, and so I've done the research and I've just written a piece about it. And it's a very interesting story because it was only here from about 1827 to 1852. Uh, and, and it's not, it's not the most uh, noble of stories. There was some pretty, uh, some pretty uh, devious deeds that went on for a couple of years in there. So I know Norwich very well, but you find out more things and you dig deeper. And I, I like to apply that to the poetry as well. So like the City Hall poem, you know, you can you can take a different angle and you can look at it in a different way because you're now digging deeper into it. And you can, there's a poem I, I've written called Marriage Through a Window. And that's the most ordinary of streets and ordinary of experiences, but somehow... You can just look at life sometimes. A bit like your splendid poem, you know, looking from, from Google, you just see things differently. Uh, and I think that magnifying glass is, is almost part of poetry's job, in a way. You know, it's got to convey emotions, hasn't it? In a way that prose can and should, but in a sharper, more focused way, I think. As I said earlier, more like a laser than a spotlight, than a, you know, a big uh, floodlight. That was Pete Goodrum on Poetry Non-Stop. I look forward to hearing more of his city poems and you can learn more about his various projects and publications on his website petegoodrum.com. I also look forward to hearing your own poems inspired by this podcast. Please send them to poetrynonstop at gmail.com and they could be featured online or on a future podcast. You can find details of this and every other episode on the website poetrynonstop.com. I'll leave you with a final poem from Pete. Until next time, have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and keep writing. I could do a poem that is the poem I mentioned that is, in fact, about poetry. Um, so maybe I'll do that, because it kind of sums up a lot about what we've been talking about, I think. It's called Let's Be Honest. Let's be honest. Let's at last be honest. You've never really liked me, let alone loved me. Yes, there were moments in your teens when you thought it good to have me around. You showed off about knowing me, even sometimes used my words to impress others. But it soon faded. In fact, and I hate to raise it, but you rubbished me, told the world, or your world at least, that I had no place, no use, and that you had no need of me. Except, of course, now and then, with women more than men, you'd try not to hide your sensitive side and you'd touch some hearts with the romantic parts because, after all, that's all you recall, the easy bits, the cheesy bits. And then I was forgotten again, until you needed me. You'd call on me at weddings, of course. Yes, I was useful for those. Evening, even at christenings, you'd search me out to add a touching note. Oh, and funerals. Yes, you wanted me then. You've summoned me to attend, to be there at the end, to play my part, to help you explain your breaking heart. But in all the years in between, as I've changed and grown, when I've ranted and excited, inspired and delighted, loved and detested, expressed and protested, through all of that, you've ignored me. But I've never gone away. I'm here. Remember me now? Yeah, that's right. Whisper it. I'm poetry. <laughs>